0: You're listening to a sermon by Hope Bible Church Niagara. We believe in unapologetic preaching, unashamed adoration of Jesus, unceasing prayer, unafraid witness, and uncommon community. If you have yet to do so, we would love to have you join us for worship in God's Word on Sunday mornings. For more information, visit us online at hopeniagara.ca. Thanks for listening. Well, good morning again, Hope Bible Church Niagara. So good to hear your voices. Just, it's so encouraging to me to hear your voices cascading over as i up here in the front row. And uh, just grateful, grateful for the worship and that fellowship that we enjoy here together on days like today. Well, I got a question for you. It's not a soft question. It's a pretty serious question. Are you ready? What happens when you die? What happens when you die? Like, okay, pastor, yeah, that's not a soft question. What happens when you die? You ever wonder about that? You ever find yourself thinking about that? Like, like, what will happen to you when you pass from this life into whatever's next? Now, perhaps you're of the mind that lots of people are that there is no next. This is, this is it. Yeah, there's lots of people that think that, you know what, we, we live, we die, and that's it. I wonder if it would surprise you to know, though, that in Canada, that's actually the minority view. Do you know that most Canadians believe in some kind of afterlife? In fact, there was a study done, it was published in the National Post back in 2018, that found that 66% of Canadians believe in an afterlife. I found it particularly interesting that the highest percentage of those who believe that there is an afterlife are millennials. Our young adults are most likely, 70%, are most are, believe that there's some kind of afterlife. So, so most Canadians actually believe there is something beyond this life. The question is what? Now on that subject, you get all kinds of opinions, don't you? There's no shortage of books and movies and videos and podcasts and blogs where people opine about what they believe will happen when we die. Some speculate, many pontificate, others discuss, debate, and theorize while lots of us agonize because it's not just a theoretical question, it's something we recognize that we're going to encounter. But as Christians, as Christians, we know that God has not left us guessing. Wonderfully, God tells us in His Word everything we need to know about what's to come after we die. Everything we need to know. The Bible tells us what will happen. The Bible tells us where we will go. The Bible tells us what it will be like. And the Bible tells us how to prepare for it and to be ready. And that's, that's what this new teaching series I'm starting today, that's what this new teaching series is all about. It's called The Afterlife. What happens when I die? And that's, that's the question we're going to explore, Lord willing, over these next few weeks starting today. We're going to learn about heaven and, and what, what is heaven? And what is heaven like? We're going to learn about hell. Is hell really a real place? And while we're at it, why would a loving God ever send someone there? We're going to learn about judgment, judgment to come. And you may be interested or surprised to learn that there's more than one kind of judgment to come. We're going to learn about resurrection. That's one I'm really excited about, Resurrection. And and we're also going to spend some time learning about why is there death at all, and and while we're at that, not only why is there death at all, why do Christians die? I mean, if we're saved, if we belong to Jesus, why is it that we still physically die? These are these are some of the questions that, Lord willing, we're going to tackle in the coming weeks. But today, I want to answer this question in particular. It's this: What will happen to you when you die? What will happen to you? Now, by you, I mean believers. Those who love and follow Jesus. That's, that's who I'm talking about in particular. Now, we're going to talk about unbelievers later in the series, what happens to unbelievers when they die. Today, the focus, though, is on what happens to believers when they die. And by when they die, I mean the moment you die. Like, like, like 10 seconds after they pronounce you, not husband and wife, I mean, they pronounce you dead. Ten seconds after, where where will you be? Where will you be? Well, that's exactly what we're gonna look at today. And to begin to find these answers, we're gonna we're gonna turn in the Bible to 2nd Corinthians chapter 4. Second Corinthians chapter 4 verses 16 through to chapter 5 and verse 10, all right? So 2 Corinthians 4, verse 16. If you don't have your own Bible with you, no problem. Just look in, in the row in front of you, just under the seats here and there, there's some, there's some Bibles that are there available for you to use. And I'd encourage you, just reach out and lay hold of that and turn to page 908, okay? 908 in the, in the chair Bibles there. And um, we're in Second Corinthians 4, verses 16, to chapter 5, verse 10. Now, in the context... Paul is talking about how it is he's able to keep on serving the Lord when serving the Lord and living for the Lord is so difficult. I wonder if you've noticed that. Have you noticed that in your life, following Jesus, living passionately for Jesus, serving Jesus is often not easy? And Paul found that uh, in his own life. In fact, in their context here, he'd, he'd been talking about it. He, he talked about the fact that he he found in his ministry, he found himself uh, uh, afflicted in every way, uh, perplexed, persecuted, opposed. We, we read about Paul in his life and ministry, and we find at times he was beaten, imprisoned, mocked, and maligned. It was, it was very, very difficult, Paul's life, and, ministry. and if you're going to love and follow Jesus, you're going to find that there's going to be times and seasons when it's difficult, too, for all kinds of different reasons. Some of you are finding that right now, that your life living for the Lord, as wonderful as that is, is also very difficult. And what Paul is doing here in our context is he's talking about the fact that, hey, it is hard to follow Jesus, but his message is on how to keep going. Like like how do you keep on going following Jesus? How 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 do you how do you keep pressing on and not just give up? Not just say, "You know what? You know, I've done my bit. Somebody else's turn now. I'm I'm on the sidelines." Like how do you keep on pressing on? That's what he's talking about here and we're going to see that what kept Paul going, what encouraged him, what gave him confidence, what helped him to persevere was by knowing and remembering what God says will happen when he enters the afterlife. Like he's got his eyes on the finish line, and with his eyes on the finish line, and God's promise of what's to come, the knowledge of that is what kept Paul going and encouraged. Let's see for yourself here. Let's read it together, and you'll see what I mean. Have a look at verse 16, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away. Anybody feeling like that today? The outer self is wasting away. Today I've got the sniffles. I'm not sick. I'm just allergic to creation. <laughs> this time of year, it's just like i got to write love letters to the people at Claritin, right? They keep me going. Our outer self is wasting away. And it could be allergies. It could be illness. It could be age. It could be disease. But notice what he says. Our outer self is wasting away. Our inner self, that's your soul, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us, notice, an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. Okay, question, loved ones. How do you look to things that are unseen? How do you do you do that? I mean, I know how to look to things that are seen, like you, for example. How do you look to things that are unseen? The theological word is faith. Faith, believing. You hear it from God, I don't see it yet. Like, it's not here, but God has said it, and I believe it, that it's coming. And that's what he says here, that's what he means. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient. In other words, they come and go. They're passing. But the things that are unseen are eternal. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens, For in this tent we groan. Now let me ask you, what's the tent? The tent is this physical body. Well, why does he call it a tent? Well, you know what a tent is. You don't, when you get out your tent, you don't intend to live in it necessarily. You intend to camp in it. Or maybe to spend a few nights, a period of time. It's a a temporary dwelling. Paul says, that's what this this physical body we have right now, as we know it, that's what it is. It's a tent. And notice he says, what do we do in it? We groan. We groan. Why do we groan? Because it's broken. It often doesn't work right. Things go haywire. And some of the going haywire is painful. Sometimes it's anguish. It can be physical, it can be emotional, it can be mental. But in this tent, we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. Okay, so if the tent is my physical body, what's the heavenly dwelling? It's my resurrected body. He's not talking about heaven here as a place, although we'll enjoy this resurrected body in heaven. He's instead talking about our heavenly dwelling as in the resurrected body that God will give us one day when Jesus returns. And we'll say more about that later in our series and a little bit more in a few minutes. So verse 2, In this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling, if indeed by putting it on, we may not be found naked. Now, naked is kind of a funny word. I mean, you know what it is to be naked, right? What does Paul mean here? Well, to be naked here in this context means to be without this physical body and not yet in my resurrected body. And we'll talk about this more in a minute. But that's if you have an NIV in front of you, it reads this way. Because when we are clothed, that is with our heavenly body, when we're clothed, we will not be found naked. Or the CSB renders verse 3 here, since in fact after putting it on, that's my heavenly body, my resurrected body, we will not be found naked. So nakedness has to, be, has to do with, with existing being, but not having the tent and not having the permanent dwelling place yet. My resurrected body, you follow? Now notice what he says in verse 4. For while we are still in this tent... If Paul were here today and look across the room, he might say it's a tent city in here because it's all tents. For while we are still in this tent, we groan being burdened. Amen? Amen. Oh. Not that we would be unclothed. It's not that we don't want to have a body, but that we would be further clothed. Like we want the version of this physical body that doesn't get sick, that doesn't get allergies that doesn't get diseased, that doesn't age, that doesn't die. See, Christians have a high view of the physical body, but we also have a realistic view. This fallen tent is falling, but we have a permanent dwelling, a permanent body that's coming. And Paul says here in verse 4, while we're still in this tent, we groan being burdened. Not that we would be unclothed, not that I don't want to have a body, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So if you love and follow Jesus, the Holy Spirit indwells you. And that's a whole other topic, but see what Paul is saying here. That's like God's down payment. He's like, I'm going to do this for you, and just so you know I'm going to do it, I'm going to give you my Holy Spirit. Who dwells in you. That's what he means here. He's given us the spirit as a guarantee. I'll see it done. I promise you. Now notice verse 6, chapter 5, verse 6. So we are always of good courage. You see the connection? He's like, man, this is a struggling, difficult, painful road. But I know that at the end of the road, it's going to be awesome. And that's how I keep going. I keep looking ahead to what's to come. So he says, so we are always of good courage. We know, listen to the certitude here, the certainty, we know that while we're at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. So here's something I know, Paul says, while I'm in this tent, there's a separateness from Jesus. Now, there's a sense in which we're never away from the Lord because the Lord promises. He says, I am with you always, even to the end. And we understand in Scripture that with the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit mediates the presence of Jesus in our lives. Jesus is truly with us. But there's a sense in which we're apart from him because we don't see him. We long to see him, but we don't see him. And there's a, a witness to Jesus that Paul is saying is coming to us that we don't have yet. And that's what he means when he says, we're always of good courage. While, for while we, we, sorry, we know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith and not by sight. We don't see him yet. Yes, verse 8, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Okay, Christian, don't want to get too far ahead in the sermon yet. But what does Paul say is going to happen to you when you are suddenly one day away from this tent? You're going to be with the Lord. You're going to be with Jesus. Isn't that a great place for a praise God? Oh, happy day. day. So, verse 9 so whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. We'll circle back to that later, Lord willing, in our series. Let me start here. Why a series on the afterlife? Like, why set aside a bunch of Sundays to teach from Scripture on the afterlife? Well, three reasons. Number one, number one reason is it's coming. The afterlife is coming. Like, you are one day closer from entering into eternity. Do you know that? Has it ever landed on you that you are going to enter into the afterlife? Has it ever hit you that unless Jesus returns first, you will die? I remember vividly the first time it landed on me. I was a little boy, and I still remember I was on Goodfellow Avenue in Peterborough, Ontario, coming up toward the intersection of Lansdowne Street. Yes, I remember I was in the back seat of my parents' 1979 brown Chevy Malibu wagon. It was a smoking ride, let me tell you. (laughs) And I was sitting in the back seat. I was, I don't know how old, seven, eight years old, maybe, I don't know. But I do remember my mind was going around thinking about different things. And all of a sudden, as we pulled up to this intersection, why it happened there, why it happened then, I have no idea. Nobody was talking to me. I was all alone in my thoughts in the back seat. And all of a sudden, it hit me. Eternity is coming. And I can't stop it. I am going to pass from this life into whatever is next. It hit me. And I can still recall the sense of fear, even I would say doom, that came over me, even as a little boy. I wonder if you've ever had an experience like that, where it lands on you, that this is going to happen, and we can't stop it. Well, if it's landed on you, It's a true thought. It's coming. the Bible tells us that repeatedly. We'll see this throughout our our series. We We can take practical steps to try to delay it. We can do our best to not think about it. But the reality is, none of what we do, none of our strategies will change the fact that the afterlife is coming. And since it's coming... It's wise for us to know what the Bible says about it. So that's the first reason why I wanted to this series, because it's coming. Second reason is because it's compelling. It's very compelling. It's a fascinating subject. I mean, lots of people, if, if you're here this morning and hear about the afterlife, my guess is you're at least curious. Like, what does the Bible say about what's to come? I'm curious to hear that. And some of you have a great curiosity, but like, this, this is going to be great. We're going to hear some things from Scripture, but what the Bible says we can expect that will be to come. And, and I think there's lots to be interested in. There's, it will at least strike in you some curiosity. But I also think hardwired in us is an interest in the afterlife, because I believe that hardwired in us is the knowledge that there is an afterlife. Ecclesiastes 3.11 says, God has put eternity in the man's hearts. I take that to mean that our factory default intuition is that we know intuitively that there is an afterlife. Again, lots of people will try to suppress that, try to deny that, smoke pot so you can't feel it. But the reality is, is that we know in our human heart that it's coming. I think this is purely my opinion. I think... That most people who would say, oh, I don't believe in the afterlife, I think in their gut, do believe there's an afterlife. They just don't want to think about it. That's my opinion. Could be wrong, but I don't think I am. What about you? What level of interest do you have in this? I think you should be very interested because it's coming. And it involves you. Third reason. It's coming. It's compelling. It's consequential. This is maybe the most important reason to do a series on the afterlife. It's because it's consequential. It matters what you believe with regards to life after death. The Bible tells us so that we'll be ready. And the Bible also tells us what's to come. God tells us what's to come to help us, to equip us. Remember, that's at the heart of Paul's message here is really what he's doing here is he's showing us a very important principle. And that principle is this. We'll put it on the screen. What you believe about the afterlife impacts how you live the present life. What you believe about the afterlife, what's to come after death, what you believe about the afterlife impacts, it directs, it shapes how you live this present life. If you believe the things that we're reading here in Scripture, it's going to impact how you live. In fact, the whole reason Paul tells these believers these things is so it will impact them. In particular, he expects that it will impact them by encouraging them to keep on going. Remember, the issue is it's hard. I mean, how do you keep going when life and ministry is so difficult? Well, you put your eyes on the finish line. You, you, with, with faith, you see again. You be reminded of what God says is coming in the end. You focus on that, and that encourages you because you have confidence that it's going to be worth it in the end. And so, so that's what Paul is doing here. But you and I, we got to understand this. What we believe about the afterlife impacts, it will impact how we live this present life. He says in verse 16, our outer self is wasting away. Think about all the suffering, the disease, the illness, the aging, aging, aging. you be know, like, hey, be careful there, pastor, in this aging bit. But I keep being told all the time that there's nothing fun about getting old. Your hearing isn't what it used to be. Your eyesight isn't what it used to be. My eyesight has been terrible since I was in grade one. They told me I had to wear glasses in grade one. The only reason I hate wearing glasses is wear contacts now, and it's a frustration. If I don't have glasses or contacts on, I do not recognize my wife in the same room. It's that bad. She will attest. We'll go to water parks, but don't leave me, babe. And I keep my hands to myself if I'm not sure. (laughs) Why is that? Well, the outer self is wasting away. Not getting better. Mobility issues, memory issues, aches, pains, fatigues you know the whole song. Paul, he felt incredibly weak. I think if I just put one thing over how Paul's been just really weak. The primary problem, though, with our pro- the primary problem with our problems is not the problems themselves. The real problem is what our problems do to us. When trouble comes. What it does is it threatens to make us lose heart and give up and not finish the race well. When trials and difficulty comes, they threaten to make us become embittered, angry. We get overcome with frustration or fear, start feeling useless and overwhelmed, no longer patiently enduring what God calls us to, but instead ready to throw it in walk away. So, so how do you not do that? How, how do you keep on keeping on? Well, Paul tells us. He says we need to look, look to what's to come. Verse 14, this light momentary affliction. Isn't that powerful? Light. How is it light? It seems heavy, all this misery and suffering. Well, it's light. It it's, doesn't feel light in the moment, but in the light of eternity, looking into that day when I'll have this resurrected body that he's talking about, looking to heaven what seems heavy now in the light of eternity will seem light. Momentary. The nightmare will turn out to be just a bad dream. You ever had a bad dream? Lots of you have. Maybe you had one this week, a bad dream. I have this recurring bad dream where I'm back in high school. I mean, it was bad enough when I was there as a teenager. Like, then I have these dreams, like I'm 44 years old and back here again. Where did I go wrong? And uh, I have worse dreams than that. Light momentary affliction. There's coming a day when the nightmare of this life will seem but a bad dream. Just a thing of the past. Just a dream. And now we move on in joy. That's what he means. Light momentary affliction is preparing for us. Well, how is it preparing? Preparing for us an eternal weight of glory. God is working, causing, bringing about great reward Great joy that will be magnified, not in spite of our difficulties, but because of them and through them. That in the end, God is using all these trials and troubles to produce for us greater joy, greater gladness in our Savior God. That's what he means here. Paul says then, what we got to do in our lives is we got to focus on that. This light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look, faith, as we look, not to the things that are seen. We so regularly get, t- get taken up by what we see. Looking not to the things that are seen, but the things that are unseen. Paul's like, that I'm telling you about right now. For the things that are seen are transient. They come and they go, but the things that are unseen are eternal. The key here is to not ignore every, is not to ignore the life and world around me. I need to pay attention to my health. i got to pay attention to my finances. It's okay to watch the news. Just don't dwell on it. you got to put your focus on the finish line. We easily become fixated on our problems, don't we? And it's understandable. They're right in front of us. But that's the point of this text here, to get us to look beyond to where we're going, to the finish line. So often in our lives, we find ourselves in a race, looking to the sideline at this distraction over here, this problem here. You got the devil barking over your shoulder at you, and you're looking over your shoulder. But but Paul says here in this text, what he's call, what he's showing us here is that the Lord is at the finish line, saying, "Hey, finish line's here. Keep going. Keep focused, Look here. That's the thrust here." of this passage, because what you believe about the afterlife impacts how you live this present life. So what then can we anticipate about the afterlife? Like, what is it in particular that Paul would have us see in this passage that would encourage us, that would embolden us, and for our purposes would inform us about what will happen to me, to you, when you die? Well, I want to show you three, I'm calling them unseen assurances. Unseen because they have to do with the afterlife, with eternity. And Paul uses that word unseen. Three unseen assurances from God about the afterlife. Our question, what will happen to me? What will happen to you when we die? If you're a believer, if you love and follow Jesus Christ, here's three things I want you to see. First of all, first unseen assurance. You will see, in the end, when you get there, you will see that it will have been worth it. You will see it was worth it to be faithful. Worth it to be faithful. Remember he says this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. In other words, you will see that it will be worth it. It will have been worth it to be faithful, to stay faithful to the Lord. By keeping our eyes on the prize, it enables us to not only keep pressing on, but we will see in the end when we get to the end, we will not begrudge what we've been through. We will not be bitter about it, but we will be glad in God because of it forever. Think of the athlete, the Olympian who is up on the podium and they've got the flowers in hand and the medal around their neck and the flags are being raised and the anthem is playing. And in that great glorious moment, they're not bitter or begrudging the labor, the pain, the injuries, all the things they didn't get to do because they were training all the things they missed out on. I've never yet heard the interview where after the medal ceremony and the flags and the anthem where the gold medalist ends, you know what? Just wasn't worth it. <laughs> I want to tell you something, believer. What Paul is showing us here is that you will stand on the podium. And there will be a great, glorious occasion when you pass from this life into the next. And you will not turn around and say, well, that was hardly worth it. No, you will see. You will see it was worth it to be faithful. Second, Second, now we get real specific here. This is what you really want to hear. Second, you will receive a resurrected body, ultimately. Doesn't that sound good? Some of you are like, I don't even know what that is, but that sounds like exactly what I need. A resurrected body. This frail, wasting away body, which groans and gets sick and ages... This frail tent will one day be transformed into a body that's fit for eternity. We're going to spend more time in another message unpacking all of that. But what Paul is showing us here at the beginning of verse 5 is that exact truth. We know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God. That's a resurrected body. A house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. That's coming. At the second coming of Jesus, there will be a resurrection. And you will go from being, if you've died, you'll go from being naked without this physical frail body that gets put in the ground. You will go from, to being, from being then without that to now having a resurrected body in the end. As I understand it, as the, from the, the New Testament, when the, there's a coming day, indeed, when Jesus will return and there'll be a resurrection and you will be given a new body. That's why I say, ultimately, you'll receive a resurrected body, ultimately. But we also infer here, we see in this text, that there seems to be a time interval between when this tent collapses... And when I get the permanent home, the permanent dwelling. And that brings me to the third thing, the third assurance I want you to see is this. You will be with Jesus immediately. So you will receive a resurrected body ultimately. You will be with Jesus immediately. Look at verse 6. We are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, this physical body, this one that's wasting away, we are away from the Lord. So there's a separation. There's a separateness. Then in verse 8, yes, and we are of good courage and would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. See, what's he saying here? He's like, he's like it's not that I don't have a physical body, but I know that if and when the day comes, when this body dies, I will go and be with Jesus. Amen. Immediately. Immediately. And that's the teaching of Scripture. Let me show you this. We see this repeated in Scripture. I want you to get this. Have a look at this passage in Philippians 1. Paul says, for me to live is Christ. That's, That's the banner over his life. What's your life all about? It's about Jesus. For me to live is Christ. Notice what he says next. And to die is gain. I don't know many people that talk like that. To die is gain. To die is loss, isn't it? I mean, you lose pretty much everything. You lose your life. You lose your stuff. You lose your achievements. You lose your money. You lose your car. You lose your home. I mean, you don't take anything with you. Don't pile any of that stuff in the casket. They just take your body, try to make it look half-pretty, and then put it in the ground or do whatever else you got plans for to do with it. Gain! How is is this gain? Well, read on. If I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. But here, look at this. My desire is to depart and be with Christ. Paul's perception, the revelation of Scripture shows us that the moment the believer dies, they go to be with Christ. That's why he calls it gain. Gain. Yeah, I lose my health. Yeah, I lose my money. Yeah, all the trophies, the family will divide them up or take them to the dump. Yeah, my money will get dispersed. Yeah, the house will go up for sale. Yeah, the car will go to auction. Yeah, I'll lose everything. But I'll still have Jesus, and that is gain. Amen. You see, Paul's, what, the consistent teaching here that we find in the New Testament, and we see here from Paul, is that the moment he passes from this life into the next, it will be gain because he will be with Jesus, with Christ. Have a look at another passage. This is from Luke chapter 23. And the scene here is Jesus is on the cross. He's dying on the cross. And beside him is a thief who expressed faith in Jesus, saying, Jesus, remember me. Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And here's what Jesus said. And he said to him, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Paradise is heaven. Another word for heaven. When will you be with me? You're dying. You're on the cross. Your body is going to give out. The tent will collapse in about an hour. Today, you will be with me in paradise. Like if, what's today? 16th of April. If it was the 16th of April, for example, it'd be like on the 16th, you're going to be with me in heaven, right? Not down the road. Not set a date for the next millennia. No, today you'll be with me in heaven. So Christian, where are you going to be? You trusting in Jesus? Where are you going to be when your time comes? You'll be with him. Let's look at another verse. We keep going here. I'll show a couple more. Now, the context here in Revelation, we've got martyrs who died for their faith with the Lord and crying out in the end for the return of Christ and the resurrection and judgment to come. Here's what they say in Revelation 6. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then they were given a white robe and told to rest a little longer. I want you to notice, notice here about this, about this text, it testifies to the fact that where are they? They've died and where are they? They're with, with who? With Jesus. They're with Jesus. That's right. They're with Jesus in heaven. There's lots of mystery to me, too, about this eternal life, this eternity between death and the resurrection. But whatever it is, whatever it looks like, There is some kind of physicality. They're speaking, after all. They're crying out, after all. But what I want you to really notice is who they're with. They're with the Lord. And they've already got gain, like Paul says, yet we infer from Jesus that there's something even more to come. It's amazing. Well, look at one more here. This is a really interesting verse, although it sounds a little heavy, and it is heavy. It's instructive for us. Jesus speaking. He says, do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Interesting, isn't it? So the body can be killed, but not the soul. Your body can be no pulse, vital signs absent, dead, body's cold. But the soul still lives. He says, and he goes on to say, rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body and hell. That's heavy. We'll circle back that later. But you see, see what we're seeing here? We're seeing the testimony of the New Testament that to depart from this physical tent, to die for the believer, means in the next moment, you will be with the Lord. Like, from the moment they pronounce you dead, in that very moment, you will be with the Lord. Have you, have you ever been with somebody... When they died? It's a mysterious thing to me that a person, even unconscious, a person is there and then they're not. The body's there, but they've died and they're, they're gone. It's a mysterious thing. Dear Christian, when it's your time and you're not there, you'll be there with Jesus. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Now, two important clarifications. I think this is worth saying. One, we, when I say we, I mean me and our church, we do not believe in soul sleep. There's there's lots within Christendom that believe that when a Christian dies, they go into an unconscious state until a future date down the road when Jesus returns and there's a resurrection. It's sort of like this. They sort of, they sort of envision that it's like, it's like, you ever gone in for surgery? You're going for surgery. I remember one time going in for surgery. It's a little close to lunch. I won't tell you anything about it, but going in for surgery. And the last thing I remember is they say, okay, start counting down from 10. I don't know. I think I said 10, and I have no memory after that, except for the next thing I knew, I was waking up, and it was over. And it was just like, oh, that's just, just some, some, time, uh, some time past. There's some who argue that, that that's what happens to a believer when they die. They, they, they die, and then there's just this, they're just unconscious. And then at a future date, there's a resurrection, and then they go to be with the Lord. I think that that is contrary to what we're seeing here in Scripture today. Instead, I think what we are seeing in Scripture quite clearly is that there is consciousness and while indeed the physical body may be in the ground or in the urn or wherever your plans are in the river, wherever your plans are for that, I don't mean, the, I don't mean like, that sounded weird, whatever your plans are, <laughs> while your body may be wherever it is, you will be with the Lord and you will be very much conscious and very much aware. You will have, Paul says, gain. It will be better because you're with Jesus. So we, we don't believe in soul sleep, not because we like the sound of it better, because it doesn't accord to what we're seeing in Scripture. Secondly, and perhaps more importantly, I think it's important to clarify that we do not believe in purgatory. There are some within Christendom who teach that when many believers die, they go to a place called purgatory. Now, purgatory, it means, it comes from this word mean purging. You say purging of what? Purging of sin and evil, being made more pure, so that once I've gone through a time of purging, now I can enter into this holy place of heaven. We do not believe that. We do not believe that for a few reasons, one of which is that we do not see it taught in Scripture, but also, too, it really goes against the gospel message. The good news about Jesus is that, is that when we trust in him, our sins are forgiven and we're counted righteous. We're declared righteous in God's sight there isn't a purification process that we need to undergo to go into heaven. It's been done the moment we believed on Jesus. So there's no purging left to do. There's sanctifying to do. God works in us to shape our character to make us more and more like Jesus. But the moment you accept Jesus as your savior, you are fit for heaven. And for the believer, when you breathe your last, your next will be with Jesus in an instant in the blink of an eye. So let's, let's get this real clear, okay? I just want to summarize this for you. Let's go to the next slide here. Three things that will happen at death. You ready? Three things. One, your physical body dies. When your time comes, your physical body dies. The tent collapses. It shuts down. When the first people sinned, when, when death entered infected humanity after they first sinned, God said, from dust you were made to dust you will return. What does he mean? Well, he made the first person. Adam made him from the dust of the earth, from the dirt of the ground. He formed him to that, and he said, and part of the curse of sin is death. And he says, from dust you were made to dust you'll return. You've heard that probably at a funeral, somebody, right? Earth to earth, dust to dust. That's the idea. And that's what's going to happen when you die. Your physical body dies second at that same time your soul separates from your body your soul separates from your body your soul is you it's you your, your personhood it's you your physical body is very much part of you that's, and we'll talk about that more when we talk about the subject of, of the resurrection. But your soul separates from your body. So this, this outer self goes into the ground or into the urn or wherever your plans are. The inner self continues on right into eternity. And in eternity, you will be in one of two places. You will be, your soul enters eternity. And in eternity, you will either be apart from Jesus or you will be with Jesus. There's no third option. There's no door number three. There's no option C. With Jesus or apart from Jesus. The unbeliever will be apart from Jesus, the Bible says, in hell. And we'll we'll say, we'll unpack that more later on. But it's serious. Even when I say that, for some of you, it's a bit of a visceral reaction. But it's true. The believer will be with Jesus in heaven. My question is this where will you be? Like if today's your day? He's like, you don't have to be like that. I, I know I don't have to, but you know it could be. Like if today's your day, or, or this week is your week. And I hope it's not. But if it is, where will you be? With Jesus or apart from Jesus? Eternity's coming. One day closer you need to get it settled now where you're going to be. And wonderfully, you can settle it now. In fact, wonderfully, if we read the Bible, we find that right now, today, the door is wide open for you to ensure that you are with Jesus. You say, well, what do I got to do to get that? Well, the Bible's pretty clear. You lay down your rebellion against God. You look to Jesus with, with faith with the eyes of your heart, and you believe him that his death on the cross and his resurrection is exactly what was needed to save you, to rescue you from sin. You believe him that he's able and you trust him to do it. The theological words are repent and believe. You trust in him, you turn to him. And when you do, when you believe on Jesus and trust him, this transaction happens in your life where your destiny is switched. And you can know that you know that you know that when your time comes, you will be with Jesus because he promises in his word. He who has the son, Jesus says, has life, like eternal life. He who does not have the son does not have life. And the wrath of God remains on him. So where will you be? Let me just remind you where we've been. We've got assurances here that in the end, you'll see it'll all be worth it. We'll have the resurrection of the body ultimately, uh, but we'll be with the Lord immediately. As I close, I want to give you three, three appeals. First of all, and this first one's not on the screen. This is a, just, just for free, a late edition. Pastoral appeal, dear Christian, put your focus on God's assurances. Focus on God's assur- assurances. Anybody here struggling today? Anybody discouraged? Anybody disheartened? Anybody here quietly wondering how they're going to get through what you're going through? Anybody tempted to quit? Give up? Walk away? Maybe from ministry? Maybe from your marriage? Maybe from Jesus? Anyone anyone here need more strength than what you got right now? This passage is given to us for that reason. To give us strength, to give us courage, so that we will rise up on wings like eagles, looking to the certainty of what God promises and what he will do for us in Jesus. You've got to keep your focus there, though. You've got to put your eyes on Jesus. You've got to fix your eyes on the finish line And while you're at it, be reminding each other it's going to be worth it. Because it will. Put your focus on God's assurances. Second, pray. Pray. Pray that as we engage in this study that God will give you clarity, peace, comfort, and courage in the face of whatever you're going through and even in the face of death. Pray for that. If you... If you, when you think about death, when you really think about it and what's to come, if you find that you, that you are filled with fear, I know exactly what you're talking about. I know exactly how that feels. If you feel a sense of dread, if you are like me, and there's many times you've woken up in the night, and for whatever reason, in the middle of the night, the reality of these things creeps in and there rises up in you a sense of sobriety but more than that a sense of fear and even maybe even doom if you know what that's like then you we you gotta pray you gotta pray that in this study God will show you truths about what he will do and the promises for you in Jesus that will minister to your heart and give you victory over those fears Pray that God would show you things in his word that would transform your life, that you'd be bold and courageous for him. Pray, pray that you would be made so sure of what's to come, that God says is to come in your life, that you will know how to answer those fears and fight back, not like the world fights back against unwanted thoughts by trying to put it away and medicate ourselves out of it. No, but fight back with truth and say, I may feel like that, and that thought may have crossed my mind, but here's what's fact. Christ has died for my sin. He arose from the dead, and he promises that I will be with him in eternity forever, and nothing can change that. That's how you fight. Pray that God would so show you these things that you'll fight with truth. The word, pray, finally, prepare Make sure, please, make sure that when your day comes, you're ready. Call upon Jesus today. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. You know why? Because all we know we've got is today. So call on Him today. In fact, let's just pray right now.